listening to Beyond the Game. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. I love everything about it. The, the, the beards, the handshakes. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome into the Beyond the Game program. So nice to have you along. It is vacation week, which means a highlight show on tap for you. So let's get right into it. This first segment aired back on April 19th of this year, talking about Chris Davis finally breaking out of the really that horrid slump that he had found himself in. And then we transition and segue into some biblical advice for thinking positively and focusing on the right things, even in the midst of struggles. Another inspirational comeback, if you want to call it that, was the Orioles' Chris Davis. Maybe too early, probably too early to call it a comeback, but it was certainly nice to see him break through after watching him struggle for so long. Yeah. Apparently, he just needed to face the Red Sox. So yeah, maybe he did all his damage against them over two games. Yeah, if he could face them every night, he'd probably be the MVP. Last Saturday against the Red Sox, Davis broke a record hitless streak that had reached 54 at-bats. Nobody had ever seen such a streak of futility, and what magnified it even more was how great he had been not all that long ago. Yeah. He broke a record by some guy you'd never heard of. To go that long without a hit, you're talking about people you've never heard of, but Mm -hmm. this was Chris Davis. This is a guy who twice led the major leagues in home runs. In fact, you may not know this, but Chris Davis is also a guy who was credited with a win as a pitcher in a 17-inning win, game. Did you know that? No. Yeah, interesting fact. Maybe that's what happened, and now he hits like one. Maybe. <laughs> His streak looks so bad because of the during that 0 for 54, 29 of those outs were by strikeout. Yeah. 20 swinging, 9 looking. You know he had to feel awful about it, especially in light of how much the Orioles were paying him. I mean, they're paying him a ton of money. After a 47-home run season in 2015, and let's not forget he hit 53 just a few years before that, they give him a seven-year, $161 million contract. He's making $23 million a year as he went hitless since what, September, September 14th or middle of September Something of last like year. Yeah. Since his last hit, 569 players had gotten hits. And if you do the math in between hits, Davis made more than $3.5 million. Oof. Man, that's a tough go. But Saturday he came through, three hits, single, two doubles, driving in four runs. Baltimore wins a game on Monday against the Red Sox. As you say, enjoyed hitting against the Red Sox. Hits his first home run of the year. His first since August 24th of last year, in fact. You know, from the beginning of the 2016 season, basically since he agreed to that $161 million contract, which, by the way, that's got to be the only reason the Orioles keep him in the lineup. I mean, what else are you going to do with a guy oh, that you're yeah, paying $161 million? Right? That and, I mean, they're the Orioles. Who else do they have? You know, well, That's a good point. But since that time, he's been a 199 hitter, striking out more than 600 times, his on-base percentage less than 300. Now, he also hit 80 home runs, walked nearly 200 times, but a less than 300 a sub-300 on-base percentage, that's just not good. 
But as as we just said, that's why the Orioles kept them in the lineup because what else are you going to do with a guy you're paying twenty three million a dollar dollars a year? But I respect how he manned up. I respect how he went out there time and time again. He pressed on. He persevered. I have to respect that. Teammates and fans were pulling for him. They wanted him to get a hit. Nobody wanted to see this guy humiliated. It just looked yeah. so bad. We we talked about it, you and I. It was painful to watch. It really was, even though he sticks to himself. He's a polite guy from all reports, but he sticks to himself. But I'm told that his teammates were, and every one of them is younger than he is, he's well-liked. He's respected. And when he came into the clubhouse after breaking that 0 for 54 slump, very emotional because his teammates were cheering, they were banging on the lockers, they were just, they were so excited that this guy had finally broken through. And you saw the highlights when he finally did reach base and he asks for the baseball. You know, he wants that. And my understanding is that he plans to auction that off to benefit the Maryland Children's Hospital. I mean, this is a good dude. That's awesome. And you know, actually, I was going to say, that's what I liked about it the most. Not that he broke the terrible streak and got the weight off his shoulders, but that in the moment, he had a good enough sense of humor about it to ask for the ball and laugh about it, you know, that it hadn't like completely just destroyed him. And if that report is true, he'd get in the ball to auction it off. Uh, terrific. Many fans were angry. Many wanted him to just take the money, go away. We live in a society where it's very hard to get away from the negativity. As everybody's got a voice, and they share that voice on social media. Fans express their dissatisfaction in hateful ways. Plenty of people with... Two-bit heads wanted to make jokes, and they laughed at him. And, you know, we even texted back and forth, not laughing at him, but say, man, just feel for this guy because he looks lost. Certainly he heard the booze, but he believed in himself. I mean, he knew that that Crush Davis that he used to be was there somewhere. And for sure, just going four for 12 since snapping out of the slump is not really a comeback, and it doesn't mean he's back. But how do we keep a positive outlook when when things seem so dark seems so bad seems like you're in a streak like chris davis has been how do we not let the frustrations and trials of everyday life compromise our testimonies for christ well actually it just comes down to a choice to choose not to do that you can either let it get to you or you can choose to rise above it i'm not saying it's easy but that choice is ours. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. There is much in the Christian life which really comes down to training our minds simply to focus on Christ instead of the negative things in our life. Romans 12, too, speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul's not speaking to the world here. This is a letter that he wrote, 2 Corinthians, to a a church. He, He wrote it to the church at Corinth. He isn't talking to the world. He's talking to the Corinthian Christians, and he's encouraging them to get their thoughts under control, to bring their thoughts into obedience to Christ, which means it can be done. Or he wouldn't have said that, right? 
Mm-hmm. You and I can be encouraged to do that very same thing when the world around us starts to get to us. John Calvin once said, For nothing is more opposed to the spiritual wisdom of God than the wisdom of the flesh, and nothing more opposed to his grace than man's natural ability. Stop convincing yourself that you have everything under control, that you can figure it all out. Trust God to help you through life's difficulties. We are not helpless victims or recipients of our thoughts. We have control in this matter. We can choose to stop our thoughts, bring every thought into captivity, as the Word of God says, to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts of lust, thoughts of anger, thoughts of fear, thoughts of greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts. They're part of, uh, as, as every thought is, things that can be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There's a story about a beggar in a public park who held out his money cup. A businessman sat on a bench watching this beggar. Notice that everybody passing by put money in the cup. He wondered how the beggar was so successful until he got close enough to see the beggar sign which said, it's May and I'm blind. The businessman hadn't even realized, noticed how beautiful a day it really was. He had taken it for granted. Well, The beggar didn't see any of it, and the people had pity on him and gave of their money. Christians, for us, it's always May. When you have Christ in your life, it's always a beautiful day. It may not always seem that, but the grass is always green, the sky is always blue, and God is always there. There will come a day when we will be with him. Focus on the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely. If I remember right, Chris Davis is said to be a believer in Christ. I think I've heard that. I don't know him. I wonder how often he leaned on Christ, if that's true, as he struggled through the worst slump in Major League Baseball history. Perhaps you're listening and you don't have Christ in your life. I'm not saying that having Jesus is going to make everything easy. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. But it's better because we have his strength on which to rely and him to see us through the dark times. Have you ever trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without forgiveness of sins, we all face the wrath of God. John 3.36 says that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And the Bible says that Christ died in order to take care of our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. He paid the debt of our sins with his death. It was a sacrifice for us. He gave his life to pay for our sins, but he rose again from the dead. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God offers forgiveness and eternal life to anyone willing to accept it. But he asks that you would admit your sin and seek his forgiveness. And that forgiveness of sins is only found at the cross in Jesus Christ. Pray to God. Admit to him your sin and guilt. Tell him that you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried and that he rose again, and ask God to forgive you and to help you turn 
from your sins, to repent from your sins. It means to start a new life, turning away from sin, following after Jesus. Of course, that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again, but our sins will bother us because we're aware that we've offended a holy God. I hope you'll place your faith and trust in Christ and ask God today to forgive you. If we can help, let us know. Maybe you want more information or perhaps you're ready knowing it's time to place your faith in Christ for your forgiveness of your sins. Reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com, if we can help. Time for a break. I hope you'll stick around along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Spring is finally here. The grass is actually visible. And pretty soon, those pesky critters are going to be coming out. Whether it's ants, bees, mice, or even raccoons in your attic, Town & Country Pest Solutions have a solution. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. This is a highlight show made up of some pre-recorded materials as we enjoy a week off. This next segment aired back on March 22nd of this year, talking about poor fan behavior at sporting events. Just because you bought a ticket doesn't give you the right to say anything you want. Here's that segment from March 22nd of this year. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. We are truly honored. Wouldn't you say, Zach, truly honored that you have chosen to take a few minutes with us. Join us here on the Beyond the Game program recording from the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. We're talking sports from a faith-based point of view, giving you a perspective that we're pretty confident you're not going to find elsewhere. It's not uncommon to hear fans yelling the most obnoxious things at opposing at opposing players, at referees, uh, even their own team's players. And yes, I suppose if you go to a game, chances are foul language is going to be part of the deal. But that doesn't make it okay. And later into the game, the more alcohol that gets consumed, the more inappropriate the behavior of some fans is going to get. And I maintain that there should still be an expectation that fans conduct themselves with some 
semblance of social decorum. I'm sure if they practiced, many of these people could indeed complete a sentence without using the (laughs) F-bomb. And have you ever noticed that for some, in one or two sentences that they use that F-bomb, that they use it as a noun, a verb, and even an adjective? Yeah. We've all seen this type of behavior at games go unchecked. Fan behavior at sporting event has caused me to rethink, really rethink when and where I'm going to go to a game. Unless you have special seating, chances are I'm probably not all that interested. Typically, unless you have some sort of suite, I'm not going to take the chance that I am going to be sitting among some barbarian nitwit whose only goal is to see how many drinks they can consume and if they can distract or engage one of the players with their insobriety. I'm not saying I'm too good to sit with these people. I'm just saying I can save myself the aggravation by avoiding it. Besides, the broadcast experience is even better. At home nowadays, watching it on TV, Mm -hmm. everything from the picture quality to the information that's shared is just superior. And you don't have to wear pants. It's a win-win. Here in Rochester, I will tell you this. Our local minor league teams do a very good job, in my opinion. I am sure that is not the case everywhere. I'm sure it is in many places, but not everywhere. Our teams, I think, do an exceptional job, providing a family-friendly experience most of the time. There are rare exceptions, and, and I suppose they can't stop everything. But I think our teams do a really terrific job, specifically Dan Mason and the Rochester Red Wings. Man, he has to be the hardest-working guy in all of professional sports. I see that guy doing everything. Mm-hmm. He's done on the field doing promotions with a microphone. You know, he's giving, showing people around. He's, you see him constantly. There's not a, I don't think there's a part of the ballpark at Frontier Field where I haven't seen Dan Mason walking around. He is everywhere. You're right. I'm guessing Dan Mason would have made sure his staff controlled that situation a week or two ago in Utah with a fan got into it with Oklahoma Thunder's uh, Russell Westbrook. On Tuesday, the Jazz... Permanently banned the fan over excessive and derogatory verbal abuse. Of course, Westbrook responded to that, as many of us would. And I'm not defending Westbrook's response, especially when he directed it at the fan's wife. That, you know, that that was over the line. We live in an age, though, where most everything is captured on video. It's captured on camera. And sadly, people do foolish things, childish things in an attempt to get attention to go viral, to get on TV, whatever it is that is their ultimate goal. Westbrook told reporters that the fan had said, get down on your knees like you're used to. Maybe not the worst thing that's ever been said, but I I think still inappropriate. I mean, who goes around saying things like this anyway? What makes a professional athlete different? Who goes into the Starbucks and says, get down on your knees like you're used to? I mean, come on. Why is it okay because you paid for a ticket to say that stuff to a professional athlete. I'm sure the fan was intent on getting under Westbrook's skin because there was a similar incident a year ago during the playoffs. And as a result of this most recent incident, another fan has now been banned from the arena for his offensive and inappropriate interaction with Westbrook based on video evidence that's come out as a result of this more recent case A fan in the stands can be heard yelling then, calling him boy. Again, you might say maybe Westbrook is overly sensitive, and and, and maybe he is, but it doesn't make it right. He would admit, I'm sure he'd admit, that as a professional athlete, 
he has to deal with a certain amount of this kind of nonsense. We have stories of athletes going into rival cities and, and dealing with much worse than what Westbrook's reported to have dealt with. Again, uh, I say, so what? They shouldn't have to deal with this. Utah Jazz General Manager Dennis Lindsay has apologized to almost everyone associated with the Thunder. He's clearly embarrassed on behalf of his organization on the action of this particular immature, foolish fan. He said this, people may say, hey, whatever, what the fan said was a small thing. Well, it's not. What it does is make everyone feel small. It's unkind. It's unnecessary. It's it's ridiculous. It shouldn't have to be said. Many people are familiar, of course. Oh, he also said this. It's a talent to divide people. And this is good stuff. It's a talent to divide people. It's a special person or a special organization that can unite people and say, we're not standing for this hurtful speech. It's offensive to me personally. Good for him. Good for him. Many people are familiar with Jesus having told people to turn the other cheek. It's not an exact quote, but it's the principle he teaches in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. The verse says this, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. My understanding is Jesus wasn't saying you can't defend yourself if you're being attacked physically. This what That's not what this is about. The phrasing of slap on your right cheek in the culture at the time was in reference to a deep insult, something that was a significant insult. And what Jesus is saying, that in our personal relationships, when we're insulted, maybe we could just suck it up a little bit. Maybe we could deal with it in order to be the better person, to be the bigger man, and hopefully get an opportunity to let the love of Christ shine through us, that we might get an opportunity maybe even to share the gospel as a result. And I can hear it now. There are tough guys all over listening on radio saying they're never going to talk to me that way. I wouldn't let anybody. Whatever, man. I got to tell you, this goes hand in hand with what Paul teaches in Romans twelve eighteen, where he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Paul is reminding believers that living for Christ is in contrast to how the world lives. Yet, we should not be antagonistic. We should not go around looking for confrontation. And we know folks on both sides, whether they're believers or not believers, do that. If it's possible, find a way to be at peace with everybody. By the way, that phrase, if it be possible, certainly indicates that, well, you know what? It might not always be possible, but try. Do everything you can to be at peace, To even if it means turning the other cheek when you're being insulted. Live peaceably with all men, if it's at all possible. The very next verse, Paul says not to avenge yourselves. Let that to God. If you're being insulted, let God sort that out. Romans twelve nineteen says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In this case, I don't know, perhaps Russell Westbrook could have done a little bit more to live peaceably with this fan, ignore him, go to the locker room, do whatever. But as sports fans, even especially as Christian sports fans, our behavior should should be an attempt to do the very same thing, to live peaceably with people, to put everybody around us at peace so that all might enjoy the game. I've been to games where games between um, Christian teams, Christian schools, where their behavior maybe wasn't 
all that much different from this fan here in Utah. Now, I don't know if those folks are believers or not. I, I can't say. The application still stands. And by the way, even if they are believers, we ought not be focused on fallen people. What we ought to be focused on is Christ. Don't let a fallen, sinful person, Christian or not, be what you make a determination of Christ about. And as I said a few moments ago, perhaps your efforts to help them, perhaps your efforts to get them to see the love of Christ gives you an opportunity to to share Jesus with them, to tell them what that difference in your life is. Maybe you've responded poorly in the past. Maybe you've gotten upset. Maybe you haven't done all that you could do to live peaceably with all people. We're all sinners. But have you ever done anything about your sin? Have you ever gotten with God and sorted that thing out and made it right, sought his forgiveness without forgiveness of sins? We're all facing the wrath of God. We're all separated from him forever. That's what hell is. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus paid the debt of our sin with his death on the cross. His death was a sacrifice for us. He gave his life to pay for our sins. And then he rose again three days later, proving that he had the power over life and death. And God offers his love. He offers mercy to every person. That free gift of eternal life is available to anybody willing to accept it. Heaven is there. It's a free gift. But he asks that you admit your sin and that you seek his forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray to God and admit your sin, admit your guilt. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again for you. Ask God to forgive you and ask him to help you repent from your sin. You know, being forgiven is wonderful, it is, but what God really wants from us is to see us repent, to turn around, to go in a different direction, to change our lives. I can ask you to forgive me time and time again. But when I change my ways and stop doing that thing, which I need to seek forgiveness of, that's when our relationship is going to grow. That's when you can tell my heart has been changed. Sure, I may still mess up, but my efforts show a repentant heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made, unto salvation. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm safely in the arms of Jesus. Well, there you have it. That's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. A couple of pre-recorded segments from earlier in the year as we enjoy a week off, but we'll be back in studio next week. Remember that this program is on the air thanks to your generous support, the generous support of our listeners. It's because of your prayers and your financial gifts that make the Beyond the Game program possible. We ask that you keep us in prayer, and if you feel so led, you can make a financial gift to this ministry by visiting our website, btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold. And be great this week, everybody. 